0: It is hard to believe we've been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since
1: 2011. Oh, you're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered.
0: Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions.
1: The Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals links to the source material from all of our adapted film discussions. Purchasing through our links support the show at no extra cost to you.
0: In Season 12, the focus was big franchises and series. We covered both Paddington films, adapted from the beloved children's book
1: character created by Michael Bond. Oh, I love those films so much.
0: Hugh Grant is
1: perfect. For our Pitch Perfect series, the first film was adapted from Mickey Rapkin's nonfiction book about collegiate a cappella competitions.
0: It's like a short story of my life, literally. I lived college a cappella. Sing it, brother. I lived college a cappella. <laughs> it didn't
1: mean literally. <laughs>
0: You know who you're talking to, right? The Twilight Saga dominated the season with five films adapted from Stephanie Meyer's vampire romance novels Twilight, New Moon, Eclipse and the two Breaking Dawn
1: parts. Dominated with awkward romance and nonsense logic is more like it. <laughs> that too. Another Thin Man brought us back to Dashiell Hammett's only Thin Man sequel based on other Hammett material, The Farewell Murder, that wasn't just based on the characters from the first film.
0: We talked about Train Spotting and its sequel, T2 Train Spotting, adapted from Irvine Welsh's novels.
1: Ugh, I hate the sequel's name. I do too. And the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy adapted from J.R.R. Tolkien's epic fantasy series love these extended editions all the way maybe plus all the mission impossible
0: films based on the 1960s tv series
1: and we've still got at least one more to go
0: members got to hear us chat about the hustler and the color of money adapted from walter tevis's books
1: get all of these books and more at our originals page thenextreelcom slash originals
0: start your next read from the movies we've covered at thenextreel.com slash originals When you run it out of luck, need to get unstuck, so cough. When you're up against the wall and you can't so cough, 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 cough. So cough, 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 cough. I'm Pete Wright.
1: And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel.
0: When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Pitch Perfect 3 is over. They've graduated college, spread their wings, and are attempting to fly, hopefully not becoming the failures we expect them to be.
1: You guys, every year
0: the USO puts on this performance to support the troops in Europe. What if I could get us an invite? Yeah, I've suddenly got a bunch of free time, so hell yeah! (laughs) Here we go, here we go, it's my turn. I've never competed against bands that actually have instruments, so what's the plan? I'm coming
1: up, so you better get this part of I'm coming out.
0: Aww. You guys just sing other people's songs, like karaoke. Karaoke? <laughs> no, 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 That's so cute.
1: I'm Calamity, this is Serenity, Veracity, and Charity. If I joined your group, I could be obesity. <laughs> Here we go.
0: Another day on stage for the Bellas. This is their big plummet. Their fade out into nothingness. You sure about this? Have I ever let you down? All the time. What?
1: You're very unreliable. It's like one of the hallmarks of your personality. Are you not remembering all the times I've been awesome?
0: Oh! Let Taka finish this. Woo! Yes. Oh! Try to have some dignity.
1: Yeah, well, we don't do anything with dignity, okay?
0: They really do need to join the workforce. Yes. Andy, it's, it's Pitch Perfect 3. We're wrapping up our, our big franchise, Pitch Perfect. As you know, I came in hard on Pitch Perfect Yes, just unironic love for that movie. I really, really enjoy it. Pitch Perfect Two was a little bit rough around the edges. Uh, you had not seen two or three when we started this trilogy, and I'm I'm here to ask you, Andy, what did you think of Pitch Perfect Three? Can you tell me
1: what you how it hit you? Just gut gut check. They were doing something new with it, um, and that's you know in our conver- in our member pre show chat that we had last week about um, sequels, the idea of Doing something new, uh, bringing something, changing the story up to to you know, kind of take it in a new direction. So you're just not rehashing what you had already done and what already s- you succeeded with is an important step. And to that end, at least they were doing that with this. They were figuring out what can we do that shakes things up a little bit. It's not perfect. It's not pitch perfect. <laughs> it's not. It's not great. I have a lot of issues with it. Um, I, and we'll certainly talk about that. I think there is a little, uh, I I think I would say I like it a little bit better than the second one though. I'm just not exactly sure how much, but you think it's better than the second one baby bit. And it may be the exact same rating. (sighs) Hmm. I don't know, but it's, it's, it, they are walking a line and we'll talk about it. So I, that's where I'm sitting right now.
0: OK, All right. so for me, well, it
1: sounds like you this is even lower for you. So it's got kind of a continuous plummet.
0: It It is a continuous plummet. I I uh, and, and I think what you're going to hear in my conversation, there are some things that are funny in this thing. There are things that are funny that I like. Uh, there are just many fewer than there were in even the second movie. And um, I think my my thoughts on this movie are directly impacted by how much love I have for the first movie. Right. And so I can't escape that. It's so hard to look at this as a trilogy and not feel like it is the the, a a rapid decline from greatness.
1: Yeah. And that that hurts. No. And yeah, that feels pretty clear. (laughs) It just keeps getting going down, down, down. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. Well, let's let's jump in. This film was rated PG-13 when it came out for crude and sexual content, language and some action.
0: Go off, go off, go off, so go off, go, off, go off, go off, go off. Movie opens with Akka intrigue, Andy. There's a straight up explosion. Did you need the explosion? I tell you. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, does that level up this whole this whole story? Is that what they needed? To make this a pitch-perfect movie? Obviously, they were trying something new. And this is, I think, why I appreciate this in some capacity more than the second film. Because at least they were bringing something new to the table. Like, I wasn't expecting it to start with spy intrigue. Like, I had no idea what was going on. And I was kind of surprised that it started this way because I was expecting essentially this, a, a repeat of yet again the second and first film where it was going to start with a performance and there was some big gaffe and like the whole gag that the Bellas could not pull it together anymore. I was expecting that because that's where we had been. So to that end, I was like, oh, okay, they're at least trying something new. You've got my attention. So that's how I started this film. Did I think it was the right choice? Not necessarily, but I at least I said, <laughs> you know what? At least they're doing something different so I can at least appreciate it for that. And to that end, I think that there is a lot of comparison in my head to something like the Hangover trilogy because Hangover 2 was a repeat of the first film, which was, for yeah. me, just an absolute blast of a comedy. I love the Hangover film. Fantastic structure, really fun, uh, well crafted, well put together, well performed, very funny. The second film, they just repeated it straight up. the third film, like this film, they said, "How can we build some craziness into the story, do a bunch of different intrigue and all this and and really kind of go wild and crazy and so to that end, this these two trilogies really uh, line up in a lot of interesting ways, but uh, I and that's not saying I like. The second or third films in either trilogy, but in both cases, I feel that at least in the case of the third film, they were saying, let's try to do something a little different to shake things up.
0: Hmm. Okay, I um uh, would respond to you in the words of fat amy please hear this in the best way possible you're a very stupid person i think that the entire the entire intrigue john lithgow daddy issue is so stupid and such a missed opportunity in the story that already exists that i it is a shameful shameful addition to this movie i think it is just ridiculous that there could, al- there could already be enough movie in the story that they're trying to tell. And where you and I differ, I actually thought that they they did such a poor job making good on some of the elements of the first movie that made it great, that they ne- in the second movie, that they had so much room to go back and capture some of more of that magic and tell more of that story. Um, they did fix some things by not distancing Becca from the entire group for most of the movie like they did in the second one. But overall, I thought, introducing the the fat amy daddy issue storyline was a travesty it was just a tragedy in this movie she did not her character did not deserve that there was nothing that set up to it and we already had the perfect much more sensitive daddy issue storyline with aubrey and i think that it was terrible Terrible, terrible, terrible. Yeah.
1: Well, oh, I'm yeah. not saying I'm not saying it was great. I'm not saying You're coming I liked out it. easy on it. You're saying you kind of liked I, it. I, I, I'm saying I liked <laughs> it better than the second one because at least they were trying. Like I felt like they tried. Did they fail? Yes. But at least they were trying to do something different. And I'll say one of the funniest moments for me. In context of daddy issues was when <laughs> fat Amy came over to Aubrey as she was looking out the window and said, oh, what's wrong? Oh, I just wish my dad was here. I was really hoping that he could make it and he's not going to make it. I'm so sad. And then Amy looks out the window and is like, oh, my God, that's my dad. I'm so sad." Like that <laughs> moment when she like totally lost, you know, the connection with Aubrey there It just made me laugh so hard. I thought that was a funny bit. That was a funny beat in context of daddy okay. issues. Um, Yes. I'll so, give you the beat. I'll give you yeah. the beat. Yeah. I, I Again, the daddy stuff was not great, but they were doing something new. And it sounds like what you would have preferred is going back to the first movie and doing that one again. So you would have preferred the second movie.
0: No, I, I don't think so. But I can, I can be more specific about my troubles. I think that the thing that we've seen with how I feel about the movie is directly related to the amount of story they give Rebel Wilson. I think Rebel Wilson was best served in the first movie, and the more they make her a standout character with a standout storyline, the worse the movie performs for me. I can't stand the Fat Amy character in this movie. It is the worst of all three, and it was fine in the first one, where we had a taste of her, and now she's a martial arts artist, and she knows how to nunchuck a sausage link, and she's like, there's so much stuff in here that goes so far over the top that it no longer it no longer seems to owe anything to the tone of the first movie. Like it's just the trilogy has just come completely off the rails. It's like it's trying to be a hangover movie. And the first movie was not a hangover movie. And it makes me crazy. It makes me crazy. So I don't care for that. I, I think it's it it is that that's really what what drives some of my angst about this movie is i think that is a signal of what they've what they were trying to do and i know it's a taste issue and i know there are people who who like that character i like it so little that uh you know just in mild doses is fine i don't believe their friendship i don't believe their roommate them i like all the beats between becca and fat amy seem now wholly unbelievable and then they dressed him in black and put him on a boat in the middle of the night and i just was
1: i was done no and i agree don't think I am not agreeing with you. I have so many issues with this movie <laughs> uh, and they made a lot of uh things just not work. A lot of decisions, a lot of a lot of repeat. And what happens and you know in context of making a third story that is not just a third story when you could continue it, but a third story that is really a wrap-up story because it really by the end of this one it feels like we're going to close the chapter on the Bellas and on these characters this is going to be the end of their story, that they um, they amped all the characters up again. They'd already turned them up to 11 in the second film, and they said, hey, we, we made even more money on that second film. Let's turn it up to 12 and really go to town with these crazy crazy characters. And so we got a lot of, just a lot of craziness with all the characters to a point where it was just, it was too much with all of them. And I mean, some of them, some of them, they kind of, dropped a lot like cynthia hardly you know uh you know does anything in this film other than just be present Uh, and that happens with a number of the characters um and so they are really amping up it's becca and fat amy and uh aubrey and chloe and lily and so you're still getting some of the core characters and you're getting more of them and it's just it's just not necessary and uh, to a point where I just I stop liking the characters, period, and I get s- just so frustrated with them as people that it makes it hard to want to follow their story anymore. And that's, I, 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 yeah, I mean, your your point is that there were a lot of people who obviously still like these characters, who want to see these characters, who enjoy them. So clearly it's just maybe we're just not the group for it anymore. And maybe... Maybe the first film you enjoyed so much because it was really about an a cappella troupe coming together and performing. Now it's just a bunch about a bunch of goofy characters who come together and it's not necessarily a story about the a cappella anymore.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. But I guess I'm puzzled because I think your statement is accurate. It it feels accurate to the movie that they gave us, but it feels like how how could they make a film in this series in which I am not the target audience? Like I'm an acapella head, man. Like, I should love this movie. And they just, I felt like they so damaged the story that all I have to hang on is the music. And some of it's okay. But of the three movies, the arrangements are much more chaotic, much busier. And, and, uh, like, you lose melody in the arrangements in a way that you didn't in the first movie and largely in the second. And, And... I do think, ok. so a slight pivot. I do think one of the the ways that they leveled up that that seems pretty obvious in hindsight rather than making it an acapella competition, I think the u s o mechanic works and the fact that they're introducing now that the that the Bellas have to compete against bands is a really neat mechanic for the movie. And I think there's huge opportunity there to tell a story where this acapella group has to compete against a very, very big sound. It is unfair from the jump that they would have to share a stage with such big performances and loud performances. How do you make that better? If there is anyone who can do it, it's Deke Sharon. And I never quite felt like as a music arranger that Pitch Perfect 3 raised to that level. And that was that was disappointing i i wanna I have to because I'm making that point now I want to tie all the way into the to the big finale, and so I'm skipping a lot of movie, which we'll have to come back to the big finale performance right of um freedom ninety and um it was just free was it just freedom ninety
1: just, just yeah yeah,
0: yeah, that big finale performance and John and Gail say, look, it's the big finale it is like they're picked for their final performance. Bella is picked, it's the final thing, and they make it a swan song. Why would DJ Khaled want to pick... Any band, any that isn't like, why why are they even talking about getting picked for this big thing when they all know they're going in different directions? It doesn't make sense to me. Like you pick a group that has promise and has agreed that they're going to stay together and continue to perform and grow and make money. So that really frustrated me, that whole dynamic at the end. But the fact was the Freedom 90 performance was bland. It was bland. It was sad. And like there was no energy to it. It was just just the singing. It was very old school. And then the curtain rises and there's a different set of musicians. Like it stunned me that that curtain rose and they didn't actually have the other bands together that were playing with them. That would have been a great way to show like unity in the whole performance and USO. It said they brought in different musicians and had the bands in the closet or like in the audience. That was so dumb. It was so dumb. And I felt like uh, you know, the, the I felt like the other bands deserved a little bit of of uh better treatment as a way to unify the the story at the end. This this was a movie that deserved that kind of feeling, and they just flushed it. I was blown away by how sad that finale was.
1: First off, um, I I really liked their performance of the song. I love the song. I love George Michael. So uh, so I was all there for the song itself. Like I enjoyed the performance. Yeah. Uh, but you're right about a number of points there. It does feel like they're just singing and it's just gonna be a song. Also, the whole point of the end is hey, you know, we do need to move on with our lives. We can't just have this as the thing that is it for us. And to that end, to that end, just as a side point, I was fun I, I thought it was funny that they're calling themselves the Bellas um when technically and correct me if i'm wrong i don't know how it works in the world of collegiate acapella but my sense is the at least the barton bellas they're a as a a group of made up of barton uh students and they perform while they're in school now there might be the legacies that we met in the last film and so to that end i'm like technically they're kind of the the Bella legacies going out to perform because the only Bella who's actually here now is Haley Seinfeld's character. And I was like, well, isn't she in school? Shouldn't she like, how is she going on this USO tour? If she was still like in school, they were just there for this (laughs) little reunion. I'm like, how did this
0: disappears for an entire semester?
1: (laughs) I, I was a little confused by that whole thing. Um, yeah. But it was it was a strange setup for me because I'm like, technically, they're not the Bellas anymore. And why? Why are John and Gail pursuing this particular group of legacies who aren't even Bellas anymore? Like their whole thing was collegiate acapella. They should be just following the Barton Bellas as they are right now, led by Haley Steinfeld. So that was a whole thing that I had. But anyway, the performance at the end, the way that it was structured was, OK, they're all moving on with their lives. They're OK with separating the fact that DJ Khaled picked very specifically Becca, not the Bellas, but Becca, to be the one person that he wants to sign and is going to help her build her career. That was great. And actually, when she started singing, I'm like, okay, so now we're we're shifting the whole thing, and now it's just going to be Becca performing This Is Fine. It'll be... I'm sure it'll be a great performance. Um, and then all the Bellas came up and I was just like, well, but didn't he specifically say, I don't want the Bellas. I only want you. So yeah. that threw me. Cause then he was on the sides, like cheering and everything. I'm like, you didn't want them to be performing. Why are they up there performing? So then I'm like, okay, so maybe this is just going to be the song where the is all come up and sing. And then they're all going to go sit down, and then Becca will still have one more song. Like we're going to get another song from her, but no, we didn't get anything. I was like, and then it just like the show wrapped up. I'm like, so is this like a one song show? Like everybody shows up to hear the one song, and then the whole thing's over. <laughs> right, it was exactly it right. was structured so strangely.
0: All <laughs> filed in for five minutes, in there. <laughs> right. okay, on. show's
1: over, folks. So that was that was a little weird to me because it it feels like you're wrapping the whole thing up at that point. So I enjoyed I enjoyed that. I didn't care so much that the other performers weren't there because honestly, the film didn't seem to care that they were ever there. Like we never get a solid song out of any of them. We get uh, m- like montages of them performing. It's not like the um, uh, D- uh, Das Sound Machine from the last film where you get to watch solid you know performances of them singing. I don't think, except maybe Evermoist, um, we actually get a performance from, like a full performance. Like the other yeah. two groups, I think it's always just montage or little bits here or there. And so to that, and it's like the film didn't care that there were other performers there, and it was just saving up these moments for when the Bellas were involved. And so I don't know, it was just it was a it was a sloppy <laughs> structure that didn't seem to care about the fact that it was a you know about performances. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I, I I think that's exactly right. And I think uh you made a point and then I was going to come back to it. Oh, it was on the, the whole idea that DJ Khaled picked just Becca. That was the twist. But leading up to that, the entire foundation of all the Bella's conversations about how great it'll be to be picked is that this is also their swan song. So wouldn't it be great if this world-famous DJ picked them for their final performance? And that's the part that I, that they so firmly believed that DJ Khaled would pick them when this was their going to be their, their admittedly final performance as a group together was crazy to me. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would they even be there? They were only there because Aubrey's dad got him a spot. The The match was really up for the other bands, for Young Sparrow and DJ Dragon Nuts, Evermoist, and Saddle Up. And the, that was where the competition was. The fact that they didn't find a way to unify all four bands and make the Bellas really shine is, uh, everything else just felt shoveled into the the story. It just did not feel... It did not feel earned. Nothing felt earned. No. So, OK, so I want to talk about some musical notes as we start moving through the, the film. Sit Still Look Pretty is the first one where the girls were, were the the old Bellas were invited by the current Bellas to watch the performance, not to sing that that actually felt legit to me because alumni shows are uh, can be very confusing what the expectation is, are you going to get up and sing or not? And it is a very real thing to go back to an alumni show as an alum and be invited spontaneously up to sing one of the old songs so that the girls would show up at this event and expect to sing makes total sense to me, and it was cringy, and and that was, like, just right. Like, But I don't know. I mean, I don't know how that would hit you because, you know, you didn't sing. Did that feel earned
1: to you? That felt great to me. What felt artificial and just completely... Ham fisted the way it was performed and uh, put together was the completely overt. Um, like, uh, how would I define the reaction by the Bellas? Like, oh yeah, no, totally, yeah, we totally weren't planning to see. It. Like they they were the way they were feigning their their um, responses um, felt so written, like it didn't feel like. Uh-huh. Like, why can't you still? Oh, that's great. No, it's totally fine. Like, they can still sound like I'm totally fine. Like, it, basically, none of them have a, any sort of poker face in the way that they talk to somebody and express <laughs> like I'm going to hide my disappointment because I'm still happy for you. Mm-hmm. Like, they all acted like such babies in that scene. Like, you know, seriously, grow up. You know, it's yeah. It, it, it was it was a little ridiculous the way that the characters were treated. Like, I have nothing in my life except to sing,
0: which it was, goes it was, to was written whole... like a
1: sitcom. Well, and, and then you have this moment where they're all like uh, with Emily when um, she's just like, well, you all I, I didn't think because you all have such you're so happy with all your jobs. And then you have this this montage flash to all of them thinking about like their lives in their careers. And it all looks miserable. Like you get mm-hmm. Becca having to deal with Pimp Low, the the ridiculous rap star that she's trying to produce. I thought that was a funny you, scene, too, by the way. I did like that scene. Okay. Uh, But you have like, uh, you know, Fat Amy doing the Fat Amy Winehouse performance. You have Flo struggling and seeming miserable at her little coffee stand that she's working at. You have Chloe having to, uh, you know, I don't know what she's doing, doing a gynecological check on a cow. Uh, You have um, Aubrey dealing with people at her camp. So you get this, this like flash montage of how miserable all of them are in their jobs. Setting it like okay, we're setting it up for okay, they're miserable, they have nothing but singing. Like all of that was just incredibly frustrating. Um and, you know, a little obvious, like you know, in the way that they portrayed it. And that leads to this sense of them being disappointed. Again, they should hide that better. But then my real issue with that is when we get to the end of the film and they're talking to Becca about her opportunity to uh to do go solo with DJ Khaled, is um that now all of them start talking about it, and they all talk about how amazing their opportunities are. How Flo just got this thing to do to franchise, like the seed funding for franchising. And Chloe just got accepted into vet school, and Fat Amy has this one hundred eighty million, to go million do her dollars thing. Yeah, and and Aubrey's decided she's going to go um, do stuff with her dad, and Cynthia's going to go, uh, you know, actually join the air force and trade. Like all of them, like it's it's like this one hundred eighty degree completely written shift in what we saw at the beginning from misery to no I really love that job and I don't want to sing anyway it's like what like the story did not know what to do how to put these characters together it's just like clearly written to force them into this USO tour so anyway that was my whole thing there so anyway that was your response to your question about that first performance (laughs) (laughs) second performance music musically
0: yeah, toxic. But we're going to come back to that. Uh, musically, the arrangement was chaos. By the end of that thing, you have no idea what's going on anywhere. It's just like, and I didn't know if they were trying to arrange it as if it were like the convention performance that the Bellas did to the old people in in the last one, where it was just completely haywire. Like, what were they trying to say with that performance? Because musically, it was off the reservation. I was not good. Um, second
1: song you're talking about
0: yes it still looked pretty the dia song um i didn't i didn't like the song i didn't like the performance yeah all all of it was the arrangement everything was bad so we have two switch-ups from the last movie so uh in this movie uh aubrey is back as a main cast member somehow she's now a full well because
1: this is a group of legacies they're not even bellas anymore
0: right right she's back and stacy is written out of the film in the film with the words literally okay. Stacy's out, and then Stacy goes and has a baby. She's eight months pregnant, and nobody noticed. I uh, that was like I I didn't like okay if why is she there like just take her out. She was a, a bit of great comedy in the first movie. I thought she was uh, she was a really fun character in the second movie. She was very poorly used. Like just. Not used really very much at all, and now she's out of the movie. Why did that happen? Uh I, I felt like something something went awry that we get Aubrey back and we lose Stacy and um that was that just didn't play for me.
1: It didn't bug me. It's like, you know, they're doing what they can with these movies to try keeping these characters in them in some capacity. Yeah. So to that end, it's like no different than trying to keep Aubrey in. In the last film, it's like, okay, what are you gonna do with the crazy sexed up character? Oh, now she's she's actually having a baby because um you know it's you know all of her sex is finally cut up. i didn't really care it was fine i never really cared about her character that much anyway so whatever
0: yeah see i guess i liked her more um and and i thought that was that was better i did it was disappointing it was another one like where we we lose the um skylar austin and, and ben platt completely because the trebles are no longer in this thing and and that feels much more authentic to the the path like they're going on this uso tour the trebles are not there um And maybe it's because Bumper was gone and they eventually had the slow decline and they're no longer relevant at Barden, Um, you know, but we had we had no issues uh, with the Trebles.
1: Well, Um, but again, they would have been legacy performers. So to that end. Why couldn't this have been a co-ed group where they were all performing together? Why does it still have to be the Barton Bellas? Like, there's no, that would have actually been a different shift of like, let's shake things up a little bit for this story. Now they've, they're post-collegiate. Now they're forming their own a cappella group to do something else. Like, that could have actually been a shift in the story.
0: Oh my God, Andy, that would be, that is a brilliant idea because uh, frankly, you get such a different like uh, opportunity for the music. Like the arranger has more opportunity with the co ed group. There is no doubt about it. And I think that that would have been that could have been really, really fun. Um, so anyway, that wasn't the message that the movie was trying to, to send. I yeah. get it. No, no, no. I'm just saying. It... Yeah. Um. I, a little note Lily's place of birth on her passport when they do the very quick flashes,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Area 51, Nevada. I thought that was funny. It was funny in context of that character. I, I do not know that they know what to do with her character. They never really do. And, they clearly don't, because all of a sudden... <laughs> but it's at
0: the end, and she says Satan has left her body and her name is actually Esther, was like,
1: what are you doing right now, movie? Yeah. I yeah. was a little... I I That whole thing... I mean, it made me laugh, because I'm like, oh, okay, so this is what they're doing with this character. But at the same time, I'm just like, I just don't know. I just don't know. Yeah. Like, they're just taking it to such an extreme, and I just don't know
0: there were there were some funny physical gags and one of them i thought you might that might set up a uh tvtropes.com segment is the uh predictable important information given over a loud sound in the background right when the the soldiers are telling them all this important information that might save their lives but there's a jet engine going in the background uh that was super tropy and uh i didn't know if that was called anything have you done uh any of your Patented uh, Andy Nelson TV tropes.com search.
1: Well, you know, I mean, I certainly have. Um, I don't. Um, I mean, that was purely though designed as a as a gag because yeah. none of that information was actually important. It actually no. the way that he plays that in the scene made me think they they purposefully had their friend like you know crank the jet engine up right when he was talking right. just just to play that whole thing about you know. It was it's very joke. important you do this yeah. or you will die. Yeah. So to that end, I, I don't know. But I mean, they, there certainly are exposition jokes um throughout in the film. Like we do have other ones. Mm. And so I don't know if like I'm trying to find if there's something about that in the in the tropes. I don't see anything about that from Chicago. Let me okay. see if Chicago. I don't see any tropes involving Chicago, uh, at least when I search for them. So. Doesn't mean they're not listed somewhere in some other capacity, but I'm not finding them.
0: Okay. Do you have any others that you'd like to use this as a platform to jump into?
1: Well, yes. You know, in the in the context of uh, Chekhov and everything, you know, that certainly is something that we've we've looked at in in this film. Right. And so like like Chekhov's Sir Bounce-A-Lot. That was one. (laughs) But
0: it didn't end up being useful at all. I just
1: kept coming back to it check out well i don't know if there are any like as i go through the tv tropes i don't know if there are any particular um chekhov tropes that have really repeated or at least are listed as being repeated uh frustratingly their website lumps all three films into kind of one uh thing and uh so i don't know if um if there's any particular thing like the, the things that they have where it relates to, like, the USO, like, there's this trope called the dude-where's-my-respect trope. The MC during the first USO show in the third film describes the Bellas as an a cappella group with a few YouTube clicks, but this group has at least three consecutive national championships and a world championship under their belts. So that's one of the tropes that they have. And then another trope is sequel goes foreign. And that's certainly we yeah. haven't talked about that whole thing, but in the first film, despite the name, the international championship of Collegiate Acapella takes place in the United States with mostly American groups pitch Perfect two, they uh, do the world championships, and then the third film, they do the u s o tour so that certainly is something that's going on here yeah um so those are a couple of the uh, a couple of the tropes that do pop up in this third film. I'm sure I could find something else um you know if I really dug around um uh, birds of a Feather. There's a trope. Uh, Lily gets together with one of the male musicians who is also an oddball. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, oh, actually, Chekhov's gun in this one, the beehive.
0: Oh, you're right. You're right, the beehive. Now, I it, so that sequence, we'll skip ahead a little bit, that's in DJ Khaled's suite, and there's a big party, and they go in, and um, there is just a bunch of chaos. We end up with this Rube Goldberg machine of... Uh, of you know, chaos of fire starts and people start falling over. They break stuff. They break the table. They they knock over the beehive. Bees are flying everywhere. Meanwhile, Becca is in Khaled's uh, bedroom on the computer laying down a uh, right righteous beat. Um, I actually liked this sequence of chaos, although it felt particularly hangover-ish. But one of the things that I think it gets right is... Um, Uh, is just amping up the accident-prone nature of an event like this. And Tristie has, uh, she hasn't done a bunch, but uh, she has done several OK Go videos. And OK Go videos, uh, music videos, are uh, ripe for these kind of mechanical, um, you know, Rube Goldberg machines, and they're awesome. And I kind of thought that was a neat addition to this movie that that felt like a directorial stamp on this thing that was like, okay, this is a thing I do, and I just want to put something in here that looks like one thing starts another thing, starts another thing, starts another thing for comedy. And let's see how it works. So I thought that was that was fine and funny and I didn't I didn't hate it.
1: It wasn't built very interestingly, weirdly. Like right, yeah. you, and that's the thing. Like if you want like okay go videos, they have such a kind of a Rube Goldberg feel as to kind of this structure in in some capacity i mean and some of them are just movement choreographed movement like on the treadmills things like that this film like it just felt it felt like any other comedy where you know one thing happens that leads to another at least to another that leads to another it didn't feel like they took an opportunity to really rube goldberg it or do something yeah. that felt more choreographed like when emily picks up the guitar and like swings it around i'm like you know somebody hit ducks. Yeah, yeah somebody ducks and then she throws it out the window and it just like it was just kind of a thud and i'm like well that okay but yeah. so like we like i wanted something to feel like we're going to get to the bees and it just it just kind of felt like oh oh yeah and then somebody trips and the bees get knocked over it just yeah. like nothing
0: it definitely was accidental
1: not mechanical right yeah, i mean it was yeah. just yeah, yeah. um that, okay so uh, anyway that was a trope um you had um you had brought up the idea of stacy and i <laughs> i just found as i was looking through this they actually have one a trope called demoted to extra and they have (laughs) Stacy listed as the person in that trope where, yeah, you take a character who is a bigger part and then they end up uh, getting uh, pretty much written out as the nothing character.
0: Yeah, sure. That's fascinating. Uh, We do have, uh, uh, thank goodness, he says, not wiping his brow. We do have some, uh, another fat Amy fat joke uh, when they're doing the, they're preparing for the riff off and they're doing, you know, charity and whatever they're listing off the Evermoist fan names. She says, "I could be obesity," so cringeworthy. Like I'm just done with that. With that kind of humor, it was, it was a funny little bit that showed uh, uh, some character. You know, a, a bit of, of depth to the character in the first
1: movie and in this movie. It was just a joke. It just, it, it just ends up. Yeah, they push it too far. But again, that's the nature of what they decided to do with these characters. Let's crank it up to twelve. And we'll go even farther than when we went in the last film. And it's just, uh, it was just terrible.
0: Oh, and the Make America Eat Again hat. Oh, my God. I Talk about a dated joke. That's not going to age well. Um, so can we talk about love stories? Because there's an interesting, there's a little bit of an interesting twist, I guess, is that they give Chloe more of a love story than we've ever had for her. And Becca's is weird with like British Adam Scott like I, I just didn't I didn't care for that what do you think of the love story like the, the romance
1: well I mean Chloe's love story is more like a lust story like there's never any sign from Chicago that he's into it too Yeah, it feels very much just like Chloe every time they're together she's just like gone all goo goo eyed and just staring at him and like I can't stop and she's not hearing what he's saying and all this sort of stuff like it just plays like that there's never any build to it Um, and then at the end they're making out, I'm like, all right, whatever, Uh, you know, it it was inevitable because she keeps looking at him that way. And he just is smiling and just seems oblivious. Um, the one with Becca, I mean, I enjoyed it more because it didn't feel like, like it felt like they were saying, okay, we don't want to be, we don't want it to necessarily just end on another straight up romance. What can we do that might be a little different? And so to that, I'm like, okay, so it's fine. You know, the guy was fine. I mean, I, I, I didn't uh, love him. I'm not sure if I had seen him before. I, I, I don't know. I mean, he was an interesting performer, Guy Burnett, um, that I, I don't know. Like, what would I have seen him in? Um, nothing. Uh, I've not seen him hmm. in anything. So I, I missed no, He's the, in Oppenheimer uh, Jacobs... coming up. That's interesting. Uh, and yeah, I know you would have missed the Jacob's Ladder remake. Andy
0: Mordecai, like you watched that like fifteen times. How did you not see? <laughs> how did you not see him in that? I think the Mordecai crazy.
1: minute, baby. Mordecai. <laughs> no. I, <laughs> so I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, he was fine. It didn't wow me or anything. And to that end, at least they didn't feel like they needed to shoehorn the relationship into it too, so to that end, I'm like, okay, at least they're they're shifting it and trying to find a way like there were like the moment at the end um you know they this is another trope in some capacity where you have the credits start, and then you have random closure scenes that are just gonna kind of play over the credits, yeah, um uh, just to kind of wrap a few little things up, like um you have uh Aubrey's dad shows up, you know, and you have the kissing uh uh you know that's when Chicago and Chloe kiss, and esther um introduces herself as esther to um the guy from that other band, and of course John and Gail get their little final bit, which actually was the best of them in the entire film was that last moment yeah uh right. but so and, and then you get um becca and And Theo, and yeah, you know, it was fine. Like, because essentially that's how I felt it worked. Like, okay, I'm your boss now. Cool. All right, well, we'll talk later. And that was it. Like, it it didn't, they didn't have to shoehorn into a romance. And to that end, I was, I was grateful that they didn't, because it didn't feel like there was necessarily one there and it would have felt forced if they had.
0: I did like that last
1: moment with them. I'm your boss now. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to be a real handful. That was cute. That was really cute. So. Which is funny because, essentially she is now the pimp low and he is now her the back and she yeah and she's telling him i'm going to be pimp low for you and and you're yeah. going to have to so that was interesting like because yeah i mean it's all in the perspective so i i thought that was yeah. actually an interesting moment for her
0: yeah okay can we talk just a little bit more about the music i'm curious your take on on the music and the riff off in particular
1: yeah, let's. We've got we've got music. We've got dad. We've got. Uh, there are a few other things that we definitely. I, I want to talk. Just touch on John and Gail a bit. Uh, actually, I don't know if I need to. I feel like I said everything I want to say about yeah. them. Like they were trash, except for that last bit. What a what a waste of yeah thing to shoehorn them into this thing anyway music so
0: i i thought in general the song selections were strong i liked them uh, i liked them a lot i thought the riff off was uh was interesting and uh i'm curious your thought on how they integrated the band stuff um with the acapella
1: i mean it was fine again to my point earlier like the bands never felt necessary they felt um just as as a as a an element to throw in here and there you hardly got any full songs out of any of them; just little bits and pieces. Yeah, uh, the riff off was was kind of fun. I liked that. Um, I, I, I guess main, mainly just because I like the riff offs. Like I like the way yeah. that they're doing that with the songs. The fact that the um, the Bellas seemed so clueless as to how to actually like talk to the bands like drove me nuts. Like, what are they doing? Well, they're they why they can't play their instruments get a clue you're you're forcing this acapella thing onto them you know they're a different thing like I, it just drove me nuts the way that they were acting that's a about guitar, all our
0: man yeah,
1: yeah that's like, right just... and
0: then, then when john and gales are in the background saying here's the problem the bellas are not as good as the other bands like that's a startling insight well not really like The other bands are collaborating and making music, which is the spirit of the music and the Bellas just don't get it. And I I felt like that was a that was where things started going awry for me that could have been rectified in a really positive way in the finale. Like when yeah, the Bellas yeah. actually learned something as a unit, they learn that making music is a collaborative experience, not just inside the band, but they could have had fun with the other bands and they could have done something really spectacular. It was just a huge missed opportunity and a whiff for a finale. So um, yeah. I, I thought that was that was crazy um but but the music itself like um you know that that they start with i mean they've they've got the call me and love me harder and then the the, the green bay packers the part of the green bay Packers played by the military uh office uh, soldiers right if i was a boy right singing the um beyonce tune but i thought that was really funny and and i i actually liked that that callback to the packers joke so yeah they didn't really follow their own rules i didn't i didn't quite get how they how they were trying to tie these together and um uh, it it didn't make as much sense to me
1: musically no and and again i think a lot of it was just you know exacerbated by this whole issue that the Bellas had of, like, you have to follow the rules. It's like, just have fun. Yeah. Allow for a scene of fun. And this is the thing that also drove me nuts with this, where they're forcing this to be this competition. And and Chloe's like, well, there's always got to be a competition. And I'm like, well, that's the screenwriter saying that we have to have a, a challenge in here to make these characters really you know work towards something. Otherwise, they're just traveling the con- traveling the world and singing. Yeah. And it's it takes all of that there out. There has so to you, be
0: a competition.
1: Yeah, so you uh. get that in there. And it, that, that feels so shoehorned and then that was something else that drove me nuts is like i thought the bellas were performing fine and maybe this is from an outsider's point of view but like when they were performing on stage they seemed fine but everybody like like the, all the other bands and dj khaled was never listening to them everyone was like ignoring them and then they said oh well let's forget about the competition and let's just have fun that's what we're missing and so then they start essentially doing the exact same thing singing well on stage and then all of a sudden everybody's like loving them and Colette is listening and everything and the other bands are getting jealous i'm like what? they they're just doing the exact same thing like it's it felt so written to say okay we're having a hard time nobody likes us we're having fun everybody loves us but then they're performing always the same and so it just like to that end it's like it was very frustrating because it just felt it it all just felt so written yeah
0: yeah It did. One note on Evermoist, which I think is it's just important because it ties together yet another fandom for Pete. Do you know where I'm going with this? No. Did you did you pick this up? This is one of my favorite things in the world. Uh, Andy Allo is in the band Evermoist, right? The the fake band. And Andy Allo is, uh, she's in one of, I, I think a great show on Amazon Prime upload. Um, she's fantastic. She's from Cameroon, uh, Cameroonian. She's Cam- Cameroonian American and she has been in a number of films. She's also a straight up awesome musician. And I could tell you she's awesome because she used to be in Prince's band, the new power generation, um, uh, and toured with him and he had some extraordinary things to say about her uh, talent. And so I I tie this back to your point that the movie didn't really care about the other bands. There were a lot of talented musicians besides Andy Allo in these bands. And besides the riff off, off, they were ignored. And I felt like that was a huge miss, a huge, huge miss, because uh, they could have really
1: showed off some amazing talent. She is a, a... superlative guitarist. Am I wrong? Do, I mean, Ever Moist, we see them, do they sing a full song or do we come in on them like partway through the song and they wrap it up? I was trying to remember like if we actually see any full performance.
0: I think they start with How, to, uh, how a Heart Unbreaks um, and I don't think we finish the, the song. I think it gets interrupted. But you're right. We don't I don't think we get a full song except we get to see them kind of showcase how casually they can pick up music in the riff off and start integrating this mashup, which sounds perfect. Um, from the jump. And, and that's, I mean, it's fine. Uh, but you're right. Like the, because they weren't a cappella and this is ostensibly an a cappella series, I feel like the movie s- said, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna kind of shove the bands aside. The bands are the antagonists. And so we need to not show too much of them. Unlike the trebles in the first movie where we got a lot of them because they were the competition and they were a cappella and let's celebrate all a cappella and I just don't think they had we had enough attention on the
1: music in this movie as should have. Yeah, they clearly seemed to not like the the bands. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> Um, Ruby,
0: Ruby Rose fronted Evermoist, Evermoist she's been in a bunch she was in the Meg she's in all the DC TV stuff as, as uh, Batwoman um, she was in John Wick chapter 2 uh, Return of Xander Cage Triple uh, XXX uh, and Orange is the New Black I very much like Ruby Rose she's kind of a mercurial performer I'm, I'm never quite sure what to make of her but uh, I like her here I think she makes a great speaking of the bands as the antagonists she's great at that like exuding the I don't like you vibe I thought that was really fun. I really enjoyed her throughout the film. Again, a miss, like uh, yeah, yeah, poorly used, yeah, yeah, really poorly used.
1: I just, you know, so Trish C. We we talked about her briefly. Um, She directed this. Kay Cannon uh, came up with the story. Then she wrote this, and it looks like Mike White was actually brought in to to work on the script as well. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's not a strictly K-canon script. I really still struggle with K-canon and find that uh, you know I'm I don't know as a writer I I know she's done some great TV in the past. Um, unfortunately I'm I'm finding as I watch this series that after the first film, you know, she had a good strong concept there based on the book. And for these next two, she just was all over the place and and really, I think, probably, you know, let Elizabeth Banks um, guide her. Because I think Elizabeth Banks has some comedy um, direction in her storytelling style that she really enjoys that just doesn't work for me. Mike White also, uh, you know, I think Mike White has done some interesting things. And actually having Mike White to come come on board to add some elements to this, I thought was actually interesting. But I don't feel anything from him in the film and so it's weird that he was on this because i just i don't i don't get it you know
0: god you know that's really true like i I, the mike white films that i know like nacho libre i liked i thought it was weird sort of absurdist wrestling comedy but i i liked it and what else Uh, school of rock he did school of rock so he's the jack black guy
1: yeah i mean i i always think of him like in the early the the aughts like uh chuck and buck uh the good girl And then into School of Rock. Like, I I think of him as kind of like really quirky characters, but does some interesting things with them that um, that I find work. And at least in stuff like Chuck and Buck and the Good Girl and School of Rock, for sure. And, you know, I don't know. I feel like now he's largely turned into somebody that just is writing. I mean, I I heard Beatrice Beatrice at Dinner was amazing. I heard that was a great film. I just didn't get a chance to see it. But then he does like the Emoji Movie. Yeah, The One and Only Ivan was okay. I mean, it was fine. It was just a biopic with the gorilla, you know.
0: Oh, I was talking about the Emoji Movie. I actually thought Ivan was fine. The whole family
1: liked it. The Emoji Movie was rough. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, uh, Brad's status, you know, I, I oh you're I the dog heard was okay. So I mean, he's done interesting things, but I feel like he's a guy who also just jumps on jobs with Hollywood to make the money, maybe to write the Beatrice at dinner sorts of scripts and hope hope to get those out there. Um, so I don't know. I I feel like having him on here feels like. Let's just get Mike White on here and have him bring some interesting character stuff in or something. And it just, I don't know. Right. I find that that doesn't work. And Trish, as the director, like, I felt like there was no clear vision with the film. It just felt all over the place. And I just never clicked with the direction, the writing, any of this stuff. I just, I really felt like it was a mess.
0: Well, and I think you know you brought up the closing credits, um, you know earlier. There, it there are some nice pieces of the closing credits that give you sort of a montage of things like closing loop, closing these you know holes. Um, but it was scattered, and part of it made me think there is a missing montage in this movie that we didn't get that would have been similar to when the girls go to the to see Aubrey in Pitch Perfect Two, and they have that montage of classics and they start doing all the camp games. But in this one. It was military because we had them doing the, the like, tactical training. They're covered in mud, crawling under the ropes. They're climbing things. They're, like, being attacked by dogs. Like, they're doing all these crazy, funny things. I think that seems like a missed opportunity. Did you get the feeling that there was a missing military montage in this movie?
1: Well, it was weird to have all that in the credits just suddenly pop up. Because then they were also including stuff from the first two movies. So they were throwing stuff in. And it was all designed to look like John and Gale's documentary footage. That was the intention of what they yeah, were that was the intention. showing us. Right. Um, and so to that end, it was weird that they were going all the way back through the first two films. But at the end of a trilogy, yeah, that's what you get. We're going to show you stuff from all three and how much everybody loves each other. And, and we're really all happy as one big happy family. And uh, yeah, so to that end, it felt weirdly blended in to include stuff that we never had seen before of this military stuff.
0: I thought that was very
1: strange. They did keep it tight. This was, you know, right at about 90 minutes. And so to that end, they had room to, to breathe, to add more stuff to it. And to that end, I'm kind of glad they didn't. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. I, I I was fine with it being tight.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree with that. Uh, so uh, speaking of 90 minutes, as we're cruising that direction ourselves, uh, I, I, I don't think, did you comment on the, the finale, the um, Fat Amy Takes the Boat? sequence earlier did
1: you do you feel like you got no well no i mean because because you wanted to save the dad stuff and and um yeah you're right I did, I did let's talk about so the dad so stuff. we haven't really talked about that i i uh yeah i mean it, the whole it opens the film it sets up this thing where then suddenly we flash to three weeks earlier and we get this whole james bond opening which i was like okay they're taking this in a crazy direction at least it's something new so at least i like i don't know where we're going to go or how they're going to get to this place you know, it, it piqued my curiosity and then it goes. Um, and so, yeah, then by that, by, by that point we learned that it's her dad and he kidnaps the girls and takes them on his boat to, cause he wants to get this 180 million from his daughter, blah, 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 blah. You know, it was nonsense, but by that point I wasn't expecting anything more out of the film. So it hits that point and I'm just like, yeah, this is where we are. This is what this film is doing. The direction it's taking, and, uh, yeah, there it is toxic while, um, while, uh, Amy runs around taking down all of her dad's staff. And then blowing up the boat. And blowing up the boat. I'm assuming she killed everybody except for her dad, who I think... Yeah. Well, I, I guess the military arrived, so they probably put the boat out and presumably saved people so that Amy's not just flat out killing all these people who are on the boat.
0: Well, I didn't feel like that, Andy, because she knocked out a couple, a bunch of guys in there that were unconscious when that boat blew. Like, I think yeah, she murdered yeah. probably six people. At,
1: at and dad, that dad was probably the only one who made it out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I just didn't... I didn't get... It. I, Lithgow... I just, what, what is up with Lithgow and the Australian accent? And I just didn't get the, I didn't get enough of the diabolical Lithgow treatment that I know he's capable of. This is another one of those performances where I my first thought was, I wonder if he knows what movie he's in. Like, he just does a lot of movies. And I wonder if this one, if he thought it was something
1: else. (laughs) Yeah, I, well, I, my first question was, couldn't they find an Australian performer who could have yeah. done this instead of him because his accent was rough. And I'm, I'm one who notoriously has a terrible time picking up bad accents. But it was just, it felt so fake the whole time, uh, almost comically yeah. so. Um, and But then he was singing, and I'm like, okay, so did they pick him because he could sing? And I'm like, has John Lithgow sung in anything before? I don't know. So I don't know. It was, it was a strange, strange choice to go down this road. I don't know. I don't know how he ended up there. Um and I really I mean by that point when stuff was happening in the film my only question to my wife as we were watching is like how is I thought this was all the night of the performance and but then they get back and the performance was the next night so I was like that was my thing is like I'm confused now in the timeline um but I just didn't care by that point I just didn't care yep, yep. I yeah
0: I I feel like the rest of the the rest of the music, um, you know, because it's a music movie, I like the snippets that we got are great. But I'll tell you, mostly the soundtrack is better than the movie in terms of the music, because we actually hear all the songs. Um, yeah. And that's good. And, you know, here's another thing. They did a promotional bit, the the uh, Bellas, and all of the bands in The Voice the tv show the voice they did a cross promotional Uh thing where there is a music video where you can go listen to them doing freedom 90 all of the voices intercut in a you know it's a very cool presentation of this song and that performance is miles better than what we actually got on stage it is just a better rendition i think it's on the special edition of the soundtrack Um, Hmm. it's just it's just better so i mean when you talk about what that i mean that song is awesome like objectively awesome and when you look at what is possible with that song in terms of recreating something and giving it a new magic um i I think this the finale that we got in the movie is the lowest end of the bar like a low bar um so real shame yeah
1: yeah well um before we uh wrap things up i had a little uh, i had a little aqua quiz for you pete
0: oh no oh no
1: (laughs) okay so, I, I, I found a listing of all the times Akka is used as a prefix in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so, I'm going to throw some out to you. And uh, uh, this, this probably is one that would make sense for our retake episode, which is a members uh, bonus episode we do after our series where members get to uh, listen to us talk about the whole uh, series kind of macroscopically, as I always say. Um, but I thought it would be fun to just say, <laughs> um, you know, what are some uses of Akka from the movies? And actually, I, I take so it. So you it. want me to tell you what they are? Oh, uh, yeah. And it's actually just the first two movies. They, they, they released this page after or as the third film, the trailer had just come out. So it's between the first two movies. I'm going to say a few of them and I want you to tell me which of the two first movies this was from. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. You are such a appointment. That's the That's the first movie? No, that's the second movie. Green Bay Packers offensive movie? tackle David Bakhtiari oh. says this to teammate Clay Matthews Damn after it. Matthews blanks during the country song round in an underground acapella league riff-off. <laughs> I think I'm going to be that's bad right. at this because I hate Aka <laughs> so much. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Aka huddle now.
0: Um, okay, that's Aubrey. It's when she's still in Alpha aka alpha mode i'm gonna say that's the first movie yes that
1: is the first movie uh aka (laughs) awkward um i think it's the first movie that is the first is it it's fat
0: amy it's another it's fat 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 amy Amy
1: and she's yeah when when aubrey tells her bff chloe to get her head out of her ass because it's not a hat in front of the whole group
0: (laughs) so good that's the better line (laughs) yeah o m
1: aka g (laughs) Oh my god!
0: <laughs> was that was that uh, the legacy? Wh- uh, what's her name? Haley Steinfeld.
1: It was. Was that
0: her auditioning in the house?
1: Yes, uh, yes. Okay, uh, that is Emily. So that would be we just Emily junk, right? That's the second film. That is the second. Yeah, film. okay. Second film. This one should be easy. Akafeeder saying, "Bitches." <laughs> <laughs> that is pitch perfect too. <laughs> <laughs> when that becca attempts awesome. to akka her way out of a confrontation with her enemies uh slash crushes and although she gets props for akka ing in a second language this does nothing to help her cause with Das. That, that's, that's a good one that's a good one okay <laughs> listen up akka
0: ballers oh that's the <laughs> is that the riff off
1: uh yes it in, is in two it's in one it is. In it's what?
0: the one. So it's what's his name in the pool? It's
1: Christopher Mintz Plass. Christopher yeah, Mintz Plass. As they yeah. describe him here, the saddest audition coordinator there ever was. <laughs> yes. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. A uh, last one. Aka, excuse me? Aka, believe it.
0: Ah. <laughs> uh, Aka, believe it. Okay. So I think that was, oh man. Was that the, um, was that the drive-by burritoing in the bus?
1: It was. It was a little. It was right around there. Yeah, is when they realized they're out of te- out of gas, and Aubrey yeah. says, Aka excuse me" to Amy, and Amy says, "I can believe it." <laughs> I I
0: don't. I actually I really don't like them in the movie, but talking about them to you makes me laugh. So that's got to be a good yeah. sign. A good aca sign. It
1: is a good. It is a very good Aka sign. Absolutely. No, they're there fun. Were, some, there they, were some other. They make me laugh.
0: Like the, the Aka ones, like. I don't I don't know. I, I think my favorite one isn't an Aka one. There were just some other fun acapella puns that I like in the movie. We didn't talk really about the punnery in the movie that I just find myself laughing about from time to time
1: there are a lot of a lot of them so yeah i i i thought it was a fun thing to kind of introduce into the films because i don't know just akka makes me laugh when they say them so, so there it is excuse you <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, well we will be right back but first our credits
0: when you're up against the wall and you cannot fall so go off go off go off go off, go off, go off, go off, go off. The next reel is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson, music by Milano, Royal Novella, and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and the numbers at d-numbers.com, boxoffice-mojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. When you rap against a wall and you cannot fall, so go off, go off, go off, go off. Go off so go All right, Andy, time to talk about sequels.
1: Yeah. So at the time it came out, Trish C said it's above her pay grade. She has no idea. She doesn't make these decisions. But as far as she's concerned, she would see these movies go on and on and on until they start sucking. I think that's funny. (laughs) I think whether it's these women in the next stage of life or it's a new group of women going through these things, I think there are endless ways to chart the course of the girl's lives and a woman's life. So that was uh, Trish C. Now, there is actually uh, a TV series that has been announced uh, for Peacock. It was supposed to come out this year. I don't know what the status of it, but it was going to be called Pitch Perfect, Bumper in Berlin with Adam Devine reprising his role as Bumper Allen. And uh, Elizabeth Banks, again, returning as executive producer. And um, yeah, I, I, I guess that there are some episodes out. And I uh, OK, I'm looking now. It looks like November 2022 is when we'll get the first two episodes of the show.
0: Wow, that's coming right up. What a timely release of this series on the next Real Film Podcast.
1: Absolutely. It's got Adam Devine and Flew LeBorg both returning. To be a part of it, awesome. Are you are you down for following Bumper? Do, like, is that a is that a direction that you were hoping to go?
0: No, uh, no, uh, no. I but I do <laughs> like him. I, I it's unexpected, but I I like him. And if they are able to sort of capture the the guy from uh, the bumper from Pitch Perfect, and not necessarily the bumper from Pitch Perfect Two. Uh, I I think I'd be more down with it. I think he uh, he has as a character more to learn and more to present. Like I think it'll be it'll be great. And he's a hell of a performer. Like I think he was. I think the Trebles with Bumper was really fun and funny and and uh, so I'd like to see what what he has. I, I it'll be interesting to see if it's acapella because like right he went off and did his thing with john mayer which is notoriously non-acapella and so um you know it'll be interesting to see if if he are he and Flew borg in an acapella group together now uh in europe that'll be that'll be an interesting thing to check out
1: so yeah i'm okay very with that. interesting the, the only other two characters can you guess who might be the only other two characters listed at this time as being a part of the tv series <laughs> DJ Khaled <laughs> um, no, well no I mean, well and I'll say they have been in all of the films it, it's, it's two people who have been in the first three films and will also be in the TV show the only two consistent characters across the whole thing
0: is it Stacy and uh, Aubrey <laughs> they've been in all of
1: them <laughs> uh, that would be funny but no it should come as no surprise Pete it is John and Gale. Yes, that's right. Sigh. Deflating <laughs> sigh. I'm they, less interested now. They are somehow finding a way to continue. Now they're following Bumper in Europe. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. Anyway, that's uh, that's where we are. And there has been, at this point, uh, you know, I mean, it was successful, but they really kind of wrote this film to feel like a conclusion. Like, we get a wrap-up of all the characters if it's a continuation, it's I mean, I suppose they could, but I just don't feel it's really necessary other than just, hey, let's make more money off of this thing. So that's where that's where it sits. How to do how to do an award season? Uh the film uh did Still win four awards and had six other nominations, uh, you know, surprisingly. It won uh, Best Music Supervision for Films Budgeted Over $25 Million at the Guild of Music Supervisors Awards. Again, you know, and this film, last film had 60 songs credited. This one had 45, so a little step down. Uh, At the Hollywood Makeup Artist and Hairstylist Guild Awards... Best Contemporary Makeup for a Feature Length Motion Picture. They won that award and they were nominated wow. for Best Contemporary Hairstyling for a Feature Motion Picture, but they lost that one to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Hmm. Hairstyling in. Uh, I'm trying to think of like the hairstyles that stand out in that film. Um, I mean. It seems more like head styling. Well, yeah, it's an interesting thing to do because it's like. I mean I mean I guess yeah, I mean sure there's some people with hair. Uh I don't know. Weird weird choice there. But well, whatever. Yeah. Um over at the kids' choice awards Pete, not the teens' choice, but this is the kids' choice awards. So maybe this is why Uh, This film did well for itself. But yeah, at the Kids' Choice Awards, uh, it did get some nominations. It was nominated for Favorite Movie by all those youngins, but Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle won. It was also nominated for Favorite Movie Actress, Anna Kendrick, but lost to Zendaya for two films, Spider-Man Homecoming and The Greatest Showman. Um, At the Reframe Awards, I'm not really sure what the Reframe Awards are, but it was nominated for Narrative and Animated Feature, and it won the Reframe Stamp Award. And the Teen Choice Awards, so a little older than the kids, still got some nominations. Anna Kendrick won the Choice Movie Actress for a Comedy. And then also, uh, Haley Steinfeld was nominated for the same thing, but of course lost to Anna Kendrick. Same thing with Rebel Wilson. And it was also nominated for a Choice Movie, but lost to Love, Simon. Oh. That's it for the awards. Love, Simon. Okay. Okay. Well, uh,
0: there's a whole point that we didn't actually talk about before we started all that rot, which was specifically DJ Khaled. Could, do you want to? Did you have a response? Are you a big DJ Khaled fan?
1: Um, I don't know if I am or not. I, I like it, it, it's a name I recognize, but I don't know much about him. And so I thought, yeah, he's there as a person who is a person who is a real life person who's playing himself has this character and it was fine. Like I didn't really care much about it one way or the other. I don't know if I've ever heard a song from him. Like, I don't know. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, I now have, because there are some on the, um, some of them that have been acapella arranged are or, or DJ Khaled over the course of the movies. And so like, there was all I do is win, um, was one of the DOS sound machine, it was part of one of the dust sound machine um, tracks and that was from him in the second film. And so now he is in the, uh, this film. Um, and so I, I did not care for DJ Khaled and I did not understand why he was the one who was picked to be a part of this. I don't know any of the backstory. I don't know why he signed on. It felt very strange and I didn't feel like there was any sort of magnetism for the USO to want DJ Khaled there. I'm, I am so out of touch with like DJ Khaled that I, I don't know what he represents, but he did not represent anything for me. And I think I could say after his acting performance in that one scene in the hotel room, I am less of a fan now than I was before, if that's possible. I, I found it inconsequential.
1: It was, yeah. I don't. I don't know if I really got the sense of having him on board because, and maybe it's just my lack of understanding of of what DJ Khaled does in the music industry. But my the way that it's played here is he kind of seems like he is a like a you know a a performer or maybe not a performer. I I don't know. I I get confused when producer. DJ is part of the name, but yeah, um, a producer, but also somebody who does like mixes and remixes other people's music you know like mm-hmm. he seemed like maybe he's one of those people and also somebody who's looking to find new artists and kind of promote them and and take them under his wing and and bring them up and stuff so to that end as like maybe he's you know the behind the scenes like he's the big name producer that the USO brought on to kind of be the one to shepherd the show and kind of put together a great show for the troops as it travels around. But to that end, I'm like, well, it never seems like he's producing anything. He just seems kind of like the guy in the background who's not doing anything, um, except sometimes playing piano. And so I, I don't know if that comes from... You know these movies where they take a real life person to play themselves, and then create like an artificial version of that person. Uh, Like this isn't the real DJ Khaled; it's just the one that we get in the film in the AKA universe, in this AKA universe. And so, I don't know. To that end, I'm just like, okay, I just I don't really know what to take from this character, but it was it was an odd structure. It seemed that seemed partly also designed and written into it just so they could introduce the competition element of the story here. Yeah,
0: well, you know, we've got... uh, So if you're a member, you could access the live stream and listen along and watch along as we record this thing and uh, uh, nextreal.com slash membership or members. What is it? Yeah, it's in there somewhere. You'll find it. Um, And Brian has just posted, apparently they considered Pharrell, Kanye West, Dr. Dre, Jay-Z, Missy Elliott. All of those, all of those are better choices for me than DJ Khaled. All of those, I think, would have been more interesting to me there's no way they would get dr dre now that he's over at apple but um jay-z kanye pharrell pharrell would have been awesome
1: yeah i i, I guess for me like i'm i'm like i'm not really interested in any of them so i don't know <laughs> if i really find much interest like I don't, I don't know if i would have cared if it was pharrell like to me it's just yeah it's not even created as a, an effective part of the story so it would have had to be in a better script for me to even care who it was that's that's why I just I, it's for me, it's like almost a non-issue because the script about it was flat. Yeah. Yeah.
0: OK, um, that's it. Script was flat. All right, Andy, how to do at the box office.
1: C's entry to the trilogy, she had forty five million to work with a big bump, surely because of the huge success of the second film. That is 46.8 million in today's dollars. This movie opened December 22nd, 2017, during a busy holiday period opposite Downsizing, Father Figures, All the Money in the World, Molly's Game, and the limited early releases of The Post, Phantom Thread, and Hostiles. With all of that, not to mention the staying power of The Last Jedi and Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, this movie managed to open in number three. It didn't have the legs of the last film, though, falling out of the top ten by the fifth week. But still, it did manage to earn $105 million domestically and $80.8 million internationally for a total gross of $193.2 million in today's dollars and making it the second highest grossing musical comedy of all time. That gives it an adjusted profit per finished minute of $1.5 million, landing it in second place in the trilogy, but last place when you look at the profit-to-cost ratios. But still, who are we kidding? All of these films did well.
0: well I got a spinoff. TV spinoff. How weird.
1: Bumper in Berlin. Well, Bumper in Berlin. All right,
0: I'm done. I have no more nonsense to spew about this movie.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a film. In the immortal words of Harry Styles, you know, the thing I like most about this movie is it feels like a movie. <laughs> okay, noted. <laughs> I think that's, isn't that what he said? Uh, my favorite thing about the movie. Is like It feels like a movie
0: (laughs) Sounds like classic Harry Styles Classic
1: Well, we'll be right back for our ratings But first, here's the trailer for next week's movie Kicking off our next series The Before Trilogy We're going to be talking about Before Sunrise Alright, I have an admittedly insane idea But if I don't ask you this It's just going to haunt me the rest of my life I have no idea what your situation is But I feel like we have some kind of uh, connection, right? Yeah, me too Great. So listen, here's the deal. This is what we should do. You should get off the train with me here in
0: Vienna and come check out the town. We just got into Vienna today, and we're looking for something fun to do. Is
1: pregnancy English? Yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, Could we speak German for a change? Now I'm going to call my best friend in Paris, who I'm supposed to have lunch with in eight hours. OK?
0: OK. Ring, ring. Pick up the phone. Uh,
1: oh, hello? I don't think I'm going to be able to make it for lunch today. I'm sorry. I met a guy on the train and I got off with him in Vienna. We're still there.
0: Are you crazy? Probably. He has beautiful blue eyes, nice pink lips, brissy hair. (laughs) I love it.
1: I like to feel his eyes on me when I look away. I couldn't possibly know why a night like this is so
0: important to my life right now. But it is. Since we're never going to see each other again,
1: I don't think we should sleep together.
0: Let's see each other again.
1: I don't want you to break vow, Just so you can get laid. <laughs> Men are lucky we don't bite off the head after mating. Certain insects do that, you know, like spiders and stuff. Mm-hmm. We at least let you live.
0: We didn't talk about the fact that I built this playlist in um, Apple Music and Spotify and Amazon Music, uh, and we'll post links to it. If you're a subscriber to one of those services, I built a playlist of... it, It's the Pitch Perfect Unarranged uh, playlist, which is all of the original source music, source tracks that have been arranged for a cappella. It doesn't include a bunch of like the score material or the other songs that were used that weren't a cappella. But if you want to hear... You know, from Don't Stop the Music through Freedom 90, I have this playlist of right now 85 songs, five hours and 25 minutes of pitch perfect original tracks. And it's actually a pretty great playlist. Like there's some, it's, it's fun to listen to. So that's awesome. Um, including every one of the individual riff off tracks.
1: So nice. you can listen to those. Yeah. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. All right, Andy, that brings us to Letterboxd. Uh, This is a real problematic rating for me. Real problematic. Uh, I'm running headlong into my no-half-stars feelings.
1: Mm. I
0: am going to get over it.
1: But uh, I'm I'm running into it. How how'd you land on your Letterboxd review? Well, like I said, I feel like despite kind of not liking this film and thinking that they made a big old mess of it, I still think at least they were trying something different with it. And I like, I mean... It's hard for me to think that it's going out on a sour note when George Michael's ending things because I really love that song. And I love I love uh, him. And just, the, I, you know, I don't have as much issues with their performance of it because I just like the song. But I but I, I think um, they were trying something new. It didn't feel like they just took the script of the first movie and just did it all over again, which is what the second one felt like. So uh, the first uh, the second film, I gave two stars and no heart. I think I'm going to give this one also two stars and no heart, but in my mind, I just know that it's just a hair better. Like, this would be 2.01, if I could if I could uh, add that on there.
0: 2.01, that's too, going too far on your
1: fractions of a star <laughs> thing. That's too far.
0: I am a two star, but I am also a heart because, Andy, uh, in the end, it's a movie I don't like, uh, but... The second movie was a three-star and a heart, and the s- third one's a two-star and a heart. It is a worse movie to me than the than the <laughs> second one, but it is still an acapella movie, and I'm in the
1: bag for acapella. So, yeah. there you go. Two stars and a heart. All right. Remember, everybody, uh, r- visit the slash letterbox. You can get your patron or pro membership. It saves you 20% over there. Use the discount code NEXTREEL or... Uh go to the nextreel.com slash letterbox. It works for renewals as well. And hey, you know what? If you would like to listen to these episodes without ads, you can uh consider a membership with the next reel. Go to the nextreel.com slash membership. And uh you don't have to listen to the ads. You get uh the episodes before everybody else, and you get tons of member bonus episodes. It is uh, a great uh support of the show. We certainly appreciate it, and we try to give our members all sorts of wonderful stuff. Uh, and hopefully, um, you know it's something you might consider. So we would certainly appreciate it. So, what did you think about Pitch Perfect Three? We would love to know. Hop into the Show Talk channel over in our Discord community, where we will be talking about the movie this week. When the movie ends, our conversation begins.
0: Letterboxd give it, Andrew. As
1: Letterboxd always do it. <laughs> okay. What do you what do you have? I've got a two star by Ian who says they'd be like, Yeah, let's just make another movie and grab the money. Who cares about the writing nowadays anyway, right? <laughs> yeah. Right in line with you there, Ian. <laughs> yeah.
0: I have a, a couple. Uh, one is uh, from uh, Kirsty, is a two star says, I'm not joking when I say I could physically feel the quality of this movie decreasing every time a man was on screen. <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> Just... I, I don't know how true that is, but it's on point. And the second one is from M with a three star that says to all of our conversation earlier, imagine watching this movie and thinking Becca Mitchell is straight. LOL. <laughs> 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 Thanks, Letterboxd. <sighs>
1: Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better.
0: After using countless hosting services over 15-plus years, Transistor has been, hands down, the best podcast partner for us.
1: If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to the slash Transistor and check it out.
0: Support our show and support your own show. By going to thenextreal.com/slash transistor, start growing your podcast today.